Hi, this is Ashley, the host of Taboo and Murder. It's midday on, what day is it, Tuesday the 15th, and the charging documents were just released with respect to uh, Jake Thomas Patterson, Jamie Kloss. So, yes, I will be reading and heavily taking from an article in this particular episode because I'm recording from my phone in the middle of a work day. So, here we go. Charging documents go on to... um, list a few counts. Count one, first degree um, intentional homicide. Count two, first degree intentional homicide. Count three, kidnapping. Count four, armed burglary. And then we get into the probable cause. And this is where it gets juicy in the bad way. You know, all the deeds. So basis for this complaint is a statement by Jeff Nelson that he is a detective with the Barron County Sheriff's Department and as such has access to all reports and complaints filed with his department. So this is coming straight from the complaint. Complaint is informed that uh, by the reports of Deputy James Presley, Deputy John Fick, uh, Deputy Eric, uh, all kinds of deputies. I'm not going to list all of them because you can go and look it up in the charging documents, but fucking hooray for all of them um, for diligently working on everything that they did to ensure that this alleged kidnapper and um, murderer will be behind bars until he dies. So Deputy James Presley with the Barron County Sheriff's Department reports on October 15, 2018 at approximately 12.53 a.m. he and other deputies were in the Barron County Dispatch Center when a 911 call came in. Deputy Presley reports screaming could be heard in the background. Dispatch advised that the 911 call had originated from 12681315 Avenue on Highway 8 West um, of Barron. Deputy Presley indicates in his report that the location um, of the address is approximately three miles from the dispatch center, which is located inside the Barron County Justice Center. Deputy Presley reports that he, along with Deputy Eric uh, Sendani, Sendini, I'm sorry, and Deputy John Fick responded to the dispatch arriving at the residence located at 1268 13th and a half Avenue, U.S. Highway 8, Barron County, Wisconsin, at approximately 1 a.m. Deputy Fick reports that while en route to the residence, he observed a vehicle that was maroon in color and what he believed to be an older style vehicle. Deputy Fick reports that based on his training and experience, the vehicle appeared to him to be an older Ford Taurus or similar vehicle. As the vehicle was traveling east on Highway 8, Deputy Fick reports the reports he was traveling west on U.S. Highway 8, just west of the city of Barron. Deputy Fick reports the vehicle he observed was the lone eastbound traveling vehicle he encountered. Deputy Fick observed the vehicle yield to himself and other deputies responding to the scene. Deputy Fick reports he was unable to see a front license plate and observed a black bracket in the front middle of the bumper. Deputy Fick reports he observed gray or silver trim on the vehicle. Upon arrival, Deputy Presley reports there were no outside lights on at the residence and no screaming or signs of distress consistent with the 911 call from coming that was coming inside. Deputy Presley reports he observed there was a light on in the residence in the upstairs northwest corner window. 
As he walked around the back of the residence, Deputy Presley observed an upstairs light on in the back of the residence. Deputy Sandini, that's what I'm going to say, sorry dude, reports he was advised by Deputy Presley to go to the front door and attempt to make contact. Deputy Sandini reports he shined his flashlight towards the front door. Deputy Sandini had difficulty seeing through the glass storm door due to it having heavy condensation on it, but noticed that the wooden inside door was open. Deputy Sandini reports he shined his flashlight again to the door and noticed the glass door was partially open due to a rug being stuck between the door and door frame. When he looked inside the residence, Deputy Sandini saw legs on the floor. Deputy Sandini reports he opened the glass door and looked in and saw an adult male, who was later identified as James M. Kloss, lying on the floor with his feet near the front door. Deputies observed that James was deceased. He had significant trauma to his face and head. There was blood and brain splatter. Ugh, there was blood and brain uh, splattering on the west wall directly behind the wooden entrance door. It says splattering, not spattering. So don't come at me. Detective Jeff Nelson with the Barron County Sheriff's Department reports that based on his training and experience, the head and face trauma to James appeared to be that of a gunshot wound. Suspected, this is my words, um, it's suspected that it was um, a shotgun. Deputy Sandini reports that he and Deputy Presley announced their presence and directed anybody inside to come out of the residence. Deputy Sandini reports no one came out of the residence and there was no sound of anybody inside the residence. Deputy Sandini observed a, a spent shotgun shell next to James's body that was on the floor and another spent shotgun shell in the hallway in front of the bathroom. Deputy Sandini reports that he, Deputy Presley, and Deputy Fick entered the residence. Partially in the bathroom and hallway, Deputy Sandini observed a shower curtain lying on the floor. As deputies moved further into the residence, Deputy Sandini observed an adult female with red hair, who was later identified as Denise J. Kloss, sitting unresponsive in the shower. Deputies observed that Denise was deceased. She, too, had significant head trauma. Detective Nelson reports that based on his training and experience, the head trauma to Denise also appeared to be that of a gunshot wound to the head, with the rear backside of her head and skull plate being completely removed and lying next to her body in the bathtub. Oh, fuck. Deputies uh, searched the remainder of the house and located no one else inside. Deputy Presley reports that once the ambulance arrived, he escorted Mark Price, a paramedic with Mayo Clinic Medical Transport, into the residence. Deputy Presley reports Mark visually examined James and Denise and confirmed the, uh, confirmed, I think this is to say, to the deputies' um, observations that both of them were deceased and no life-saving measures were necessary. Detective Mary Dexter with the Barron County Sheriff's Department reports that she was present for the autopsies of James and Denise. Detective Dexter reports the autopsies were performed by Dr. Veena Singh at the Midwest Medical Examiner's Office located at uh, 14341 Rhinestone Street, Northwest Ramsey County, Minnesota. Detective Dexter reports she received and reviewed the final autopsy reports prepared by Dr. Singh. Dr. Singh determined the cause of death to James was a shotgun or a shotgun wound to the head and neck, and the manner of death was ruled a homicide. Duh. Dr. Singh determined the, ca determined the cause of death to Denise was a shotgun wound to the head, and the manner of death was ruled a homicide as well.
Detective Nelson reports he observed the residence on October 15, 2018 at approximately 1.45 a.m. Oh, that, sorry, he entered at 1.45 a.m. Detective Nelson observed there were lights on in the main floor master uh, bedroom in the northeast northwest corner of the residence and the main floor bathroom of the residence. Detective Nelson observed that James was lying on his back with his head partially under the kitchen table and chairs. James was lying in an east and west direction. Detective Nelson observed that James's body was located in front of the wooden entry door and that James's legs obstructed the full opening of that door. Detective Nelson reports the wooden entry door had been forcibly entered. Detective Nelson observed that the decorative glass on the wooden entry door was shattered out and also noticed that near the deadbolt locking mechanism on the door, there was heavy damage. Detective Nelson reports on the basis of his training and experience, it appeared the door had been shot with a shotgun slug shell in the area of the deadbolt lock. Detective Nelson observed that Denise was seated in the bathtub on the main floor of the residence. Detective Nelson reports her head was lying against the lower bathtub. Detective Nelson observed a vinyl shower curtain and curtain rod lying on the bathroom floor and partially extending into the hallway. Detective Nelson reports the bathroom door swings inward into the bathroom. Fire code my addition. Detective Nelson observed that the top upper right-hand cabinet drawer had been pulled out approximately six inches. Detective Nelson reports that based on his training and experience, it appears Denise had attempted to barricade herself in the bathroom. Yep, I did that with my sisters when I didn't want them to come in the bathroom when I was showering when I was a kid. Not at all the same circumstances anyway. Detective Nelson reports it was apparent the assaulted had forcibly, the assailant had forcibly kicked or pushed or breached the door in some manner, which had caused a rectangle style part of the door to break free from the door and fall into the open drawer. Detective Nelson reports the bathroom door itself then had been kicked or breached or forcibly manipulated in such a manner where it had basically split in two in a horizontal manner prior to being forcibly opened. I can only imagine during that time the terror while you know he's getting through that door but he isn't yet chills Ugh. detective nelson reports the bathroom door itself okay i was uh kicked or breached forcibly manipulated um detective nelson observed a cell phone lying with the screen side down on the floor near the door jam and hinge side of the bathroom door make note of that Detective Jason Hagen with the Barron County Sheriff's Department reports that evidence observed at the scene included a 12-gauge shotgun shell located on the ground outside the residence next to the concrete steps that accessed the front doorway where James was found. A second spent 12-gauge shotgun shell was located next to James's body. A third spent 12-gauge shotgun shell was located on the floor in the hallway directly in front of the bathroom. So essentially, um, reiterate, uh, Detective uh, Hagen is reiterating what Detective Nelson had already said. Detective Nelson reports that as he and other officers were continuing their investigation of the inside of the residence, he received a phone call from Detective Dexter and Detective Carroll, who advised that James and Denise have a 13-year-old daughter that also resided with them at the residence. She was identified as JLC. Detective Nelson reports throughout the morning a Wisconsin crime alert was issued, as well as an Amber Alert regarding her abduction. So Deputy um, Dit 
Brender, I believe that's how you say it, with the Douglas County Sheriff's Department reports on January 10th, 2019 at approximately 4.11 p.m. She was dispatched along with Deputy Deputy Carey with the Douglas County Sheriff's Department to an address in Eau Claire in the town of Gordon. Uh, Douglas County, Wisconsin, yada yada, um, for a report regarding Jamie, of course. She was at the residence uh, located at, I'm not going to say this because uh, I think it gives just too much away, uh, in Eau Claire, where the wonderful Good Samaritans saved her, helped her save herself. While en route, Deputy um, Dit Brender reports the Douglas uh, County Communication Center provided additional information obtained during the 911 call. The additional information provided included information that Janine Nutter, a neighbor of Peter and Kristen Kazinkas, was currently at the Kazinka's residence with Jamie and that Jamie had stated a male subject whom she identified as Jake Patterson had killed her parents and she wanted to go home naturally. Deputy Dittfrender reports that she and Deputy Carey, along with Sergeant Englum, arrived at the Kazinska's residence on January 10th, 2019 at approximately 4.43 p.m. I can only imagine the relief Jamie felt at that time. Um, Deputy Dick Brenda reports Jamie was wearing a pair of dirty, worn New Balance athletic shoes that appeared to be men's shoes with the left shoe on her right foot and the right shoe on her left foot. Out of a concern that Patterson might be in the area attempting to locate Jamie, Deputy Carey reports the decision was made to immediately remove Jamie from the area for her safety. Yes, thank God. Deputy, just for her own, like, mental health, the feeling safe. Deputy Carey reports that Deputy um, Dittbrender drove Jamie away in her squad car with Sergeant Engelman following in his squad car. Deputy Carey and Sergeant DeRosa remained at the Kaczynski's residence. How scared do you have to be to be those neighbors, too? Shit. Adrenaline, I suppose. Deputy Dittbrender reports that as she was traveling along the west side of the loop of Eau Claire Acres Circle northbound to County Highway Y, she observed a vehicle approaching eastbound on Highway Y and then turned south onto Eau Claire Acres Circle as Deputy Dittbrender approached the intersection. Deputy Dittbrender observed the vehicle was red in color and possibly either a Kia or Ford as the vehicle passed her. Deputy Dittbrender reports she asked Jamie if that was Patterson's car, and Jamie stated she didn't know. Jamie indicated that she thought his car was a Ford and that he also had other cars. Deputy Dittbrander reports she notified Sergeant Engelman and Sergeant DeRosa of the red car she had just passed. Sergeant DeRosa reports that Sergeant Engelman ran the plate of the vehicle. Sergeant DeRosa reports dispatch advised the vehicle was registered to a Katie Patterson, the last name matching the name of the male subject Jamie had identified. Sergeant DeRosa reports he positioned his squad car in a way so that he could observe the vehicle as it passed his location. Sergeant DeRosa reports as the vehicle passed by him, he observed a lone male occupant driving the red-colored vehicle. Sergeant DeRosa reports he also observed the vehicle's driver's side rear taillight was broken, as well as no functioning rear license plate light. Sergeant DeRosa reports he pulled out and followed behind the vehicle waiting for another squad. The tension. I'm feeling the tension building as I am reading this. It's insane. Water break. 
As he was following the vehicle, Sergeant DeRosa observed that it passed the driveway of the address that was listed for the vehicle. I'm not going to say the address, in the town of Gordon, Douglas County, Wisconsin. Sergeant DeRosa reports he concluded a traffic stop, conducted a traffic stop on the vehicle just as it passed the driveway. Sergeant DeRosa reports he approached the driver's side door while Sergeant Engelman approached on the passenger side. Sergeant DeRosa reports the driver and lone occupant in the vehicle was instructed to raise his hands in the air. Sergeant DeRosa reports that he, he then instructed the driver to open his door. Once the door was open, Sergeant DeRosa asked the driver what his name was. The driver informed Sergeant DeRosa that his name is Jake Patterson. Sergeant DeRosa reports he instructed Patterson to step out of the vehicle, and he did. Patterson stated, I know what this is about. I did it. In quotes, I did it. Deputy Carey reports he interviewed Janine. Janine stated that she went for a walk. So this is Janine Nutter, the one that was walking her dog. Janine stated that she went for a walk around Eau Claire Acres Circle around 3.30 p.m. She estimated the walk took around 40 minutes. When she returned to her driveway, she saw a young girl in the road. Janine stated the girl yelled and begged for help. Janine stated she remembered the girl specifically saying, I'm Jamie Kloss. I don't know where I am. He killed my parents and please help. I want to go home. Janine estimated it was around 4, 10 p.m. when she came upon, they keep calling her JLC, but Jamie Kloss. Janine stated she made the decision to go to the Kaczynska's residence because though she did not know Patterson, she recognized his name from a mailbox and knew that his cabin was only two driveways west of her place. Janine described Jamie as being in shock, tired, with matted hair and messy clothes. Janine observed that Jamie was wearing large men's shoes on her feet and could barely walk in them. Detective Hagen reports on January 11, 2019, at approximately 9.15 a.m., he observed a live viewing of the interview of Jamie. Bonnie Fry is a child adolescent forensic interviewer with the FBI, interviewed Jamie. Detective Hagen reports the review was audio and video recorded. On the night Jamie was abducted, Jamie stated she was asleep in her bedroom when her dog started barking early in the morning. Jamie uh, stated she got up to investigate why her dog was barking and noticed there was someone driving up their driveway. Jamie stated she went to her parents' room and woke them up. Jamie stated her parents got up and her father went to the door to see what was going on. Jamie stated there was a man, later identified as Patterson, at the door with a gun, so she and her mother hid in the bathroom with the door closed. Jamie stated that she and her mother hid in the bathtub. Jamie stated she heard a gunshot and knew that her father had just been killed. Jamie stated her mother had her cell phone with her and used the phone to call 911. Jamie stated Patterson broke down the bathroom door and told her mother to hang up the phone. Jamie stated Patterson told her mother to put tape over Jamie's mouth, which her mother did, and then Patterson shot her mother. Jamie also Jamie stated both her mother and father were shot one time. I can't imagine having two small kids, like seeing that. Oh my God. Jamie stated the first time she saw Patterson was in the bathroom where she and her mother were hiding. Jamie stated Patterson was dressed in black from head to toe, including a face mask, hat, and gloves. Jamie stated that Patterson taped her hands and ankles together and dragged her out of his car out to his car. Jamie described the tape as being black in color. Jamie stated Patterson's, uh, Patterson taped her hands such that her hands were behind her back. 
When they got to Patterson's car, Jamie stated Patterson placed her in the trunk. Jamie described Patterson's car as an older red four-door car. After Patterson put her in the trunk, Jamie stated he just drove away. Jamie stated she heard the sirens of two squad cars drive by a very short time after Patterson began driving. Oh my god. It's a fucking movie. It's a fucking horror, horror movie. Jamie stated she thought she was in the trunk of the car for about two hours before they arrived at his house where Patterson took her, oh my god, which was, yeah, almost 70 miles away, so depending upon their route, it could have been an hour to two hours. Jamie stated Patterson later told her it was his house. Jamie stated she observed Patterson to be wearing the same clothing he had on when he shot her parents when he removed her out of the trunk at the house he had taken her to. When they got to the house, Jamie asked Patterson excuse me, Jamie stated Patterson took her to a hallway and made her sit down and stay there. Jamie stated he then removed the tape from her mouth, hands, and ankles. After that, Jamie stated Patterson told her to go into his bedroom and take off all of her clothes. Jamie stated that after she disrobed Patterson, put her clothes in a bag. Jamie stated Patterson made a comment about not having evidence. Jamie stated Patterson told her he was going to throw her clothes away, but she didn't see what he actually did with them after. Jamie stated that sometimes Patterson would have friends and or relatives over. Jamie stated that Patterson made it clear that nobody was to know that she was there or bad things would happen to her. In order to hide the fact that Jamie was there, Patterson made Jamie hide under his bed in his bedroom. Jamie stated Patterson's bed was in one corner of his bedroom. When he made her hide under the bed, Jamie stated he stacked totes and laundry bins around the bed with weights, like weights and barbells, stacked against them so that um, she could not move them without being able to detect what she had done. One time, Jamie stated she accidentally moved one of the totes when she was told to hide under the bed, and Patterson told her something bad would happen if she did it again. Jamie stated Patterson would turn music on in his room so she couldn't hear what was happening if there was anyone else in the house with him. Jamie stated Patterson would also make her stay under the bed when he left the house. Jamie stated Patterson would make her stay under the bed for up to 12 hours at a time with no food, water, or bathroom breaks. Jamie described how on one occasion Patterson got mad at her and hit her really hard on the back with something described as a handle or something used to clean blinds and that hurt really bad when Patterson used her to hit it with or hit her with it. Jamie stated she did not specifically remember what she did to make him mad on that occasion, but she remembers Patterson telling her that if it happened again, the punishment would be worse next time. On January 10th, 2019, Jamie stated Patterson left the house and told her he was going to be gone five or six hours. Jamie stated Patterson made her go under the bed before he left. After Patterson left the house, Jamie stated she was able to push the bins and weights away. Uh, from the bed and crawl out, Jamie stated she put on a pair of Patterson shoes, walked out of the house, and walked towards the road to a woman, Janine Nutter, who she saw walking a dog. Jamie stated she told Janine who she was and that Jake Patterson kidnapped her. Jamie stated that um, Janine then took her to the closest house and they called 911. 
Detective Nelson reports on January 11, 2019, at approximately 7.15 p.m., he, among with Special Agent Joe Welsh uh, with the Wisconsin DOJ, conducted a custodial interview of the defendant, Jake T. Patterson, whose date of birth is June 17, 1997. Detective Nelson reports he read the defendant his Miranda rights. The defendant stated he understood his rights and was willing to speak with Detective Nelson and Special Agent Welsh. Detective Nelson reports the defendant confessed to killing James and Denise Kloss and kidnapping Jamie. The defendant stated he worked at a Saputo Cheese Factory. Oh my god, that's so Wisconsin. South of Elmina for two uh, days before quitting. On his drive to the cheese factory on one of the two mornings he worked there, he had stopped behind a school bus on U.S. Highway 8 where he watched Jamie get on the school bus. Terrifying. I grew up like a mile from Highway 8 in Minnesota, but still fucking scary. The defendant stated he had no idea who she was, nor did he know who lived at the house or how many people lived at the house. The defendant stated when he saw Jamie, he knew that was the girl he had to take. Going, He was going to take, not had to, was going to take. The defendant stated on what he thought to be his second and last day of employment at Saputo Cheese, he purchased a black-colored um, balacava-type mask from Walmart in Rice Lake. The defendant stated he purchased the mask as part of his plan to conceal his identity when he took Jamie. The defendant stated he drove to the class home twice with the intent to kidnap Jamie prior to October 15, 2018. The defendant stated that several days after quitting uh, the cheese factory and about one week to one and one half weeks before he went through with his plan to kidnap Jamie, he drove to the class home, but there were all kinds of cars in the driveway and it scared him off. The defendant stated on another night, maybe a day or two later, he again drove to the class home and noticed the lights weren't on the house and people were walking around in the house, so he decided not to do it then. The defendant stated he put quite a bit of thought into the details as to how he was going to abduct, abduct Jamie. On one of the nights prior to his third trip to the class home on October 15th, the defendant stated he drove a few miles down the road of County Highway D near Sarnoa and stole the license plates off a vehicle parked in the yard. The defendant stated he stole the license plates because he did not want to get stopped or spotted with his own license plates on his car. There is some fucking premeditation there. First degree, hell yeah. And you're clearly sane. Back to charging documents. Prior to arriving at the class home, the defendant stated he stopped on a side road somewhere east of Barron and removed both the front and rear license plate from his car, which he described as an older red-colored Ford Taurus, and placed the stolen license plate on the rear of his car. Remember when I said remember that car? The defendant stated he had other modifications to his vehicle. The defendant stated he removed and disconnected the dome light in the vehicle so that when he exited or entered the vehicle, it would not illuminate his presence. The defendant stated he also removed the trunk light and what he described as the glow in the dark kidnapping cord, in, the glow in the dark kidnapping cord from the trunk so that no one could pull the trunk release once inside. Yeah, that's why they're there. 
The defendant stated that prior to leaving his house, he took his father's 12-gaze um, Mossberg, Mosberg punk um, shotgun, which he described as having a black stock with a silver or chrome-colored finish on the barrel. The defendant stated that he selected this particular gun because he had done research and knew that the Mosberg brand shotgun was one of the most heavily manufactured or owned shotguns and assumed it would be more difficult to trace. Again, premeditation. You're not fucking insane. You are, but not clinically. The defendant stated he took out six 12-gauge shotgun shells, which he described as being slug shotgun shells from an ammo box in the garage. The defendant stated he felt that a 12-gauge shotgun slug would inflict the most damage to someone and would most likely be the best choice of shell and weapon to kill someone versus a rifle. (sighs) The defendant stated he wiped down the shotgun shells while wearing gloves and cleaned and wiped down the shotgun while wearing gloves so there would be no fingerprints or DNA on either of them. The defendant stated he did this solely for the purpose of making sure there would be no fingerprints or DNA on the shotgun. The defendant stated he then loaded the six shells into the shotgun while wearing gloves and was confident there would be no DNA or fingerprints left on the shotgun or the shells. The defendant described how he shaved his face and shaved all of his head hair off and showered before leaving his house. The defendant stated he did this so that he would not leave any DNA or hair at the scene. The defendant stated he was wearing brown-colored leather steel-toed work boots and regular blue jeans. The defendant stated he was wearing a black-colored jacket and had a black-colored Balakava mask on. The defendant also stated he was wearing two pair of gloves on his hands, which he described as regular work gloves. The defendant stated that as he arrived near the Kloss residence, he shut off his headlights and basically coasted into the end of the driveway. The defendant stated he parked near the end of the driveway, quietly exited his vehicle, and approached the house. The defendant stated he walked on the sidewalk leading up to the front door of the house. As he was walking up the sidewalk, the defendant stated he noticed James standing in the large picture window, which he indicated was to the left of the front door. The defendant stated he believed James had a flashlight and was shining it outside. The defendant stated he hollered for James to get on the ground, but James kept shining the flashlight and looking outside. The defendant stated he then approached the front steps and opened the glass storm door. The defendant stated he then pounded on the wooden entry door. The defendant stated he saw James looking outside through the small glass, decorative glass, with wrought iron design in the center of the wooden entry door window. The defendant stated James made some comment like, show me your badge, and assumed James thought he was police. The defendant stated he then raised the shotgun and purposely aimed at James's head and pulled the trigger. The defendant stated he knew James immediately collapsed to the ground. The defendant stated he then used his shoulder and tried to break the door open, but was unable to do so. The defendant stated he then ejected the spent shotgun shell, lowered the shotgun toward the doorknob, and fired a second round. The defendant stated he then used his shoulder, and after one or two pushes, the door opened up. After stepping into the house, the defendant stated he stepped across James's body and knew James was dead. 
The defendant stated he brought a kitchen-style knife that he had in his pocket and a flashlight with him that night. The defendant stated there were no lights on in the house, so he shined his flashlight around the house and noticed that the door straight ahead of him was shut. The defendant stated he approached the door and it was closed. The defendant stated he quickly walked through the other rooms in the house, scanning to see if anyone was in any other room. The defendant stated he did not see anyone, and so he then reapproached the closed door that he had initially seen. The defendant stated the door was locked and barricaded, and he kicked it in and shouldered it several times, trying to forcibly break it down. The defendant estimated that it took him anywhere from 10 to 15 hits with his shoulder before it burst open and he entered into the bathroom. Okay, can you even imagine the terror of both of those women? The defendant slated, uh, excuse me, the defendant stated the bathroom curtain was shut and he reached up and grabbed it and ripped it off the rod and threw it onto the floor. The defendant stated that Denise and Jamie were seated in the bathtub, Denise with her arms wrapped around Jamie in a bear hug. The defendant stated he pulled out a flattened partial roll of black colored Gorilla brand duct tape, handed it to Denise, and told her to place the tape over Jamie's mouth. The defendant stated Denise was struggling to do that, and he set the shotgun down on the bathroom sink. The defendant stated he took the tape from Denise and wrapped tape around Jamie's mouth and completely around her head. The defendant stated he then had Jamie stand up where he then took tape and placed it around her wrists with her palms together to restrain her hands and arms. The defendant stated he then took the tape and wrapped it around Jamie's ankles. The defendant stated he then removed Jamie from the bathtub. With Jamie standing bound next to him in the bathroom, the defendant stated he picked up the shotgun, aimed for Denise's head and pulled the trigger as he started to run away. The defendant stated he aimed for Denise's head because he knew that headshots were the best way to kill a person. The defendant stated he had the shotgun in his hand, in his one hand, and he reached his arm around Jamie's body and began to drag her out of the house. As he was doing so, the defendant stated he nearly slipped in the blood that had pooled on the floor. The defendant stated that he dragged Jamie across the front uh, yard toward his car. At one point, the defendant stated he told Jamie that she needed to walk and then realized that she couldn't because he had taped her legs together at the ankles. The defendant stated he drug her across the yard where he then dropped her near the driver's side door of his car. The defendant stated he then popped the trunk open, dragged Jamie to the back of the car, put her in his trunk, and then locked the trunk shut. The defendant stated he then got in his car, removed his mask, and started to drive towards Barron. The defendant stated he had only driven what he thought was 20 seconds from the house when he yielded to three passing squad cars that were traveling west toward the house with their red and blue emergency lights and sirens on. That's the fucking scene from the movie right there. The defendant stated he was determined he was going to take Jamie that night and was going to kill anyone in the house because he could not leave any eyewitnesses behind. 
asked what he would have done if he had been stopped by the police on his way to his house. The defendant stated he still had a loaded shotgun in the front seat of the car with him. The defendant stated he most likely would have shot at the police, so suicide by cop. Uh, The defendant estimated he was at the class home for only about four minutes total. The defendant stated that once he got to his house, which he indicated is located at 14166 South Eau Claire at Acres Circle Road in Gordon, Wisconsin. As a realtor, I hate these long addresses. He removed Jamie from the trunk and uh, drug her into the house and into the bedroom. The defendant um, states that he cut off the tape and knew Jamie was extremely scared and she was crying. The defendant stated he knew Jamie was scared because she had urinated herself and her clothing was wet. The defendant stated he told Jamie to change into his sister's pajamas. The defendant stated he then took her clothing, the duct tape, and two pairs of gloves he had worn and threw them into the wood fireplace in the basement of the house. The defendant stated that he kept Jamie in his house by creating a space under his bed. The defendant stated his bed, which was, which he indicated is a twin size, sits approximately two and a half feet off the ground. The defendant stated he shoved the bed in the corner of his bedroom so it basically only had one side that was open. The defendant stated that when he would leave the room or house, he would take plastic totes and he would slide them against the side of the bed so Jamie couldn't see out. The defendant stated that he took some barbell weights and free weights in the room and would put them against the totes to make it difficult for Jamie to get out. The defendant stated he did this also so he could know if Jamie tried to get out since the weights would be moved. Reminds me of GSK and the plates. The defendant stated there were at least two occasions where he thought Jamie had tried to get out from under the bed and he had... um, And he had struck a wall and screamed a lot to the point where he knew she was scared and she knew that she better never try this again. The defendant stated Jamie was fearful of him enough that she knew that she was not to leave the bedroom without him. When he left the house, the defendant stated he would tell Jamie that she better not leave and told her bad things would happen to her if she tried. The defendant stated she knew she shouldn't come out from under the bed when he was not there. The defendant stated that because of his anger outbursts, Jamie complied and did as she was told. Yeah, because she was fucking terrified because he saw the guy murder her parents. At Christmas time, the defendant defendant stated he left the house and went to superior to visit one of his grandparents what a guy the defendant estimated can you imagine being that grandparent honestly jesus fucking christ the defendant estimated he was gone for 12 hours the defendant stated he told jamie that she had to hold it if she needed to go to the bathroom and was not allowed to exit from under the bed until he returned The defendant stated that when his father would come to the house, which was typically on Saturdays, he would make Jamie go under the bed where he again would put the totes and the weights in front of it. The defendant stated he would turn up the radio in his room to cover up any noise that Jamie might make. The defendant stated he initially kept the loaded shotgun near a door outside his room and the three remaining shells for protection in case the police came. The defendant stated after about two weeks, he removed the three shotgun shells and placed them in a drawer in an end table on the main floor of the house. 
The defendant stated he took an empty shotgun and placed it in the trunk of a white car that was broken down in the yard. The defendant indicated the shotgun would either be in the car or, if his father had found it, would have been moved into the house. The defendant provided locations of where his brown-colored steel-toed work boots, black-colored jacket, black mask, and jeans um, he was wearing were located. The defendant stated he was surprised there wasn't any blood spatter that came back on him, and so he wasn't very worried about the clothing. The defendant drew a diagram of the class home. On the map, he indicated where the highway was, where he parked, and his approach to the front steps of the class home. He included on the map that he drew um, his return to the car when he dragged Jamie from the house and where he had to put her in the trunk. The defendant identified on the map where he remembers James was lying on the floor after the, the defendant shot him. The defendant identified where Denise was uh, when she when he shot her in the bathtub. The defendant drew out a diagram of the floor plan of the house and indicated on the diagram the garbage can where he had put the license plate he stole before kidnapping Jamie. The defendant stated that on the day he was arrested, he told Jamie he was leaving for a few hours. The defendant stated he went to Haugen. When he got home, the defendant stated that he discovered Jamie was not under his bed. I hope you felt fucking terror, you piece of shit. The defendant stated he briefly looked around the house and then saw her footprints outside. The defendant stated he then got into his car and started to drive around looking for her. The defendant stated that after a few minutes, he returned to his house as she, uh, and was met by the police. Another cinematic moment for the movie. The defendant stated it was at this point that he knew he was caught. He's brilliant. The defendant stated he basically assumed he had gotten away with killing James and Denise and kidnapping Jamie since he hadn't been caught for the first two weeks. The defendant stated he had never met Jamie uh, through any social media sites and only learned her name after the abduction and when he got back to his house. The defendant stated he learned the names of the two people he had shot and killed after seeing their names reported on multiple news programs and social media. The defendant stated he never would have been caught if he would have planned everything perfectly. Detective Nelson reports a search warrant was executed on January 11th at the defendant's residence in Eau Claire on, you know, Acre Circle in Gordon Douglas, um... In Gordon, Douglas County, Wisconsin, Detective Nelson reports the search warrant was executed by a team from the Wisconsin Department of Justice and agents from the Wisconsin Department of Justice State Crime Lab Field Response Team. Detective Nelson reports that throughout the course of the two-day search, a total of 89 pieces of evidence were recovered from the property. Among the items recovered are the following. The Mossberg silver and black colored shotgun and three remaining shotgun shells, brown colored leather steel-toed boots, black colored jacket, black colored mask, stolen license plate, glow-in-the-dark colored T-handle trunk safety release lever. The statements made by the law law enforcement officers can be considered truthful, credible, and reliable because of the positions of trust 
they hold. The statements of the citizen witnesses can be considered truthful, credible, and reliable because they are made by citizen witnesses. The statements of the defendants can be considered truthful, credible, and reliable to the extent of which they are admissions against interests. So that's that. That would be the full fucking charging document for Jake Patterson, of course, the alleged perpetrator in murdering um, Mr. and Mrs. Kloss and abducting Jamie, who freed her fucking self a couple of weeks ago. Anyway, this is um, part three of the Jamie Kloss saga, as it is. This is Ashley with um, Taboo and Murder. My Twitter handle is SM Taboo. If you have any constructive criticism, please send it my way. And I would love some five-star reviews, please, over on iTunes. It would really make my day. Thanks for listening.